think as artists, there's there's sometimes there's a sense of, you know, what how is what I do speaking to the moment? Right. Like really wanting to be like in conversation with the moment in a way that gets people thinking, pushes things forward, you know, that is not necessarily the body in protest in public. I mean, artists have a very important role. And I don't feel like I'm really interested in um, paradoxes and conflicts. And I really wanted to think about like what in the in our bones does it mean, you know, for Black lives to matter, or like, or 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 how how we re- how we wrestle with what this movement in this moment means, right? Um, it, it's complicated because I guess I'm just thinking about you know being in different places along that continuum at different times. Welcome back to Season 3 of Unsequenced. I'm Candace Thompson, your host today, stepping in for Stephanie Wolf. In this episode, we unpack the work of interdisciplinary artist Autumn Knight. Contributor Jossie Johnson reports on how Knight pushed the limits of this hybrid work during the summer of 2020, when Americans were both reeling from a global pandemic and protesting in the streets in an experimental residency that was filmed and streamed. July 24th, 31st, and August 7th of 2020, artist Autumn Knight presented three separate yet connected live stream durational performances. It was part of a two-week residency at the Kitchen in New York, a merging of her practice and improvisation with new texts, choreography, and sculpture that responded to the architecture of the space. A self-proclaimed interdisciplinary artist, Knight took the viewer on several hours of winding and full explorations into movement, politics, space, the black body in space, the concept of backstage, deconstruction of normal performative spaces, language, and more in an intricate choreography and exchange with the crew at the kitchen. As she challenges the constructions we all live in, constructions that seem to have already been unraveling in real time a few months into the COVID quarantine reality, she entices the viewer with her candor and humor her use of space, her body, and time, making us all examine the systems crumbling around us and how we, as humans, in our movements and language, continue to evolve in this time of self-surveillance, healing, and transformation. I got the residency in 2019, and we didn't know exactly what shape it would take. I, I remember at the beginning of the process, there just being sort of an invitation to create you know, a project, and then there was a space that was involved, space in Ridgewood, Brooklyn. And I think late 2019, I went to view the space. So I did uh, site visits and everything. Obviously, COVID happened, pandemic happened, and we were still set on doing it. We pushed it back, hoping, you know, things would change, but we pushed it back. And because I live in Harlem, I just figured it's not really safe for me to go out to Brooklyn on public transportation. I think we just didn't have the enough information really at that time to like, of course I could have 
got on public transportation. Um, but it just didn't seem safe. So I ended up, well, they ended up offering me the space downtown. They're like, well, we do have our building. So what about that? I was like, that's great. That's closer. Uh, and I actually ended up staying in a hotel across the street for the time that I worked on the residency. And that, that was a compromise. Knight chose to stay backstage throughout the performance, creating an intimate dance with the videographer. At times, that relationship made it look like she was both behind the lens and in front of it. I had definitely been to the kitchen before. So when the actual space was offered, you know, I was trying to think about like what that meant because the space in Brooklyn was a big warehouse, right? Um, big, just open space, like just an enormous amount of space. And the kitchen had a lot of space too, but it was like, it was multiple floors. And, you know, the staff, because of COVID, and I think even before COVID had um, stopped working in the building as much. So it was kind of in this limbo state where it was leftover aspects of other projects. So really coming to work with the, the backstageness of it was really about having access to the entire building. That during a pandemic, we also needed more space to spread out, to do work, to do as much work as possible. So it really became a manifestation of this entire building is actually my tool, right? That's really when I started to think about the relationship with the building beyond uh, what I had seen as a patron, right? Seeing the gallery and the theater. I definitely you know, new early on. I think I want to take my body out of it and just leave really um, specific parts of my body in the frame. Like it's little of my body. Started communicating with a videographer, a filmmaker early on in the process. So we knew, okay, so we're going to work with a film crew to at least document whatever is made. And the videographer or the, the head of the film crew, Ross Carr, you know, mentioned, oh, we have these things that can switch. We can have multiple cameras and there's a switcher. I was like, I used that before last year, a version of that. And I'm like, I, I really like that process. But the intimacy, I think, was created by, you know, when the videographers uh, finally came to the location, you know, I basically had this like list of like images and textures that I wanted seen. I'm like, I'm like, I want to be behind a camera, but I also want to do the performance as well. Or at least I, I know I have to do the performance as well. So I was like, well, how can I, how can I work with them to kind of like almost be another camera person by directing them to see what I, what I see in this space, like what I find visually, texturally interesting and um, what I would like to meditate on. So I really wanted the viewer to really get a sense of my eye by like using and collaborating with these other filmmakers. Alongside snippets of Knight's body, tandem narratives accumulated through multidisciplinary mixing, including animations of hand gestures created by animator Adebokula Buki Boldunreen. 
I chose the hand or to make start making drawings with hands because, like you said, it is a universal gesture. Or excuse me, it's, it's a universal symbol. There's so many ways to in, interpret the subtlety of hand gestures. And there's a gazillion, it's like an in, in, infinite number of uh, ways that your hands move and communicate a language. Like they, they are a language unto themselves. So I feel like the inclusion of them is like adding another voice, another language, another text that I don't even have to necessarily be intentional about. I knew uh, I wanted a Black animator and they sent me some suggestions and I was like, you know what? I know somebody. I know a Black woman that does animation. Let me see if if she, uh, you know, is available. Can you animate my hand? Can you animate all these drawings? And, you know, and she's like a professional animator. She's like, hey. she was like, what I need is actually video of your hand doing whatever you want. So those, so she basically, t- I took the videos, of, I took the videos of my hands and she animated those. So really it was about like my own choreography and movement of the hands, that specific gestures that I wanted like in you know, animated. Uh, and she did such a brilliant job. Then there was a soundscape by sound designer Philip White. It began with the samba and seemed to build over time through rituals. This project was so process-oriented. There were a couple things happening. So basically I had on um, a mic. So the mic would capture sounds that were happening in the moment, but we we had also gathered some of those sounds before. And so so during what you saw, he's mixing um, pre-recorded playing with the bubble wrap. And then if I do something in the moment, maybe mixing that in, and okay, oh, I, you didn't know I was gonna pour the salt. Okay, so see the salt, pouring of the salt, record that and then bringing that back. So really layering, moving things around, recording something, capturing it, reusing it. It was really responding to the, to the, to the moment. And then I could hear the playback in my headphones. So I could kind of almost, you know, if he's playing some of the, I don't know, the, the sound in the, of the salt, I could maybe do that with my hands somewhere else or be encouraged to recreate that somewhere else in another location. So that was a, a lovely sort of rhythmic visual sound dance. And because there was such great equipment, sound equipment, I wanted the in technology, I wanted it to be really rich really rich and really full. And I always include music in my performances. And sometimes it's really, really like directly related. Like, okay, performance is called this. I'm going to find all the songs that have that in title. Um, (laughs) I mean, there was inclusion of many different types of music, but, you know, I was really inspired by The Wiz um, as a sort of conceptual foundation for this work, for all three of these uh, episodes. So there are little pieces um, of audio from The Wiz throughout, you know, the three installments. And the samba is actually 
from the beginning of the Wiz. So that's what that samba is. It's it's the, I mean, Quincy Jones, Quincy Jones, genius. So it's like, I didn't even have to go and look for, you know, even though I love, you know, samba music, I don't even have to go look for that. It's in this soundtrack of this, you know, classic film. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's diasporic in itself. He made sure of that. Knight also played with text and voices, deconstructing code switching and the ways in which Black people have had to defend their own names. I want to talk about my name with Autumn Knight. I, I would like to talk to you, Autumn Knight, about, about your name. Hi, I'm Autumn Knight also. Yeah? Yes, uh, yes. Um, yeah, that, that segment grew out of a conversation we were having uh, in between working that day. I was uh, talking with the, um, the lighting designer, Ali, and the curator, uh, Lumi, about just the name Autumn Night. And, and so, you know, after lunch, you know, I was back in the recording area. It's like, okay, let's do another recording. Let me play with this concept. I'm glad I got to dissecting a little, a little bit out loud because I do think about, um, I do think a lot about my name and its relationship to how I get to move about the world as an artist, period, and as a Black woman artist or Black woman just as a person with this name. Because I... I know that, you know, I'm, I'm from um, real, you know, regular Black folks. And my mama gave me this extraordinary name, this conceptual piece of a name in order to, um, I think, preempt some of the biases, right, that uh, Black people face, right? Simply, simply starting with the name, right? Um, so my, my mother was not a hippie in any way, like, so, you know, but she did, but she, but she, she knew enough about the world having, you know, lived through segregation and being born, you know, at the tail end of Jim Crow that, you know, there, there's this, um, there's this relationship to the world that can start with your name. So I think is I think I think the name, the naming of Autumn Night is a place of subterfuge, right? Um, to kind of get in these spaces at least a little bit, but you know, before your covers blow. So thinking about, you know, other people in the world who are named Autumn Night now, because uh, I, you know, did, you know. Google as we often Google ourselves and, you know, and people think, you know, Autumn Night is a unique name, but it ain't, surprisingly. So it's like, oh, okay. Um, so what does it mean to, to be extraordinary and pedestrian? I think that is a part of, you know, Black um, identity making, you know, um, definitely the way naming, the way Black people construct our own names, right? And I feel like at the time where I was growing up, I feel like there was a lot of construction of Black names and my mother went this other route. Similarly, 
similarly, similar creativity, but just, you know, trying to do something, you know, trying to do something a, a little bit different, but um, a similar type of subterfuge, transgressive naming, if you will. Hi, Madam Night Also. I am a singer. Um, I, I make music and um, I'm so glad to be here. Well, Autumn, 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 thank you all for being here. I'm also Autumn too. Really? What do you do? Um, don't worry about what I do. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. Don't worry about it, sweetheart. I, basically I grew up talking to myself and... I would talk to myself in different voices. Can I, can I say a song for you? Uh, and I, I, re <laughs> I remember, you know, at a certain point, I was uh, Millicent Mancini, uh, some white girl that I made up, and in the in the the quest that many young black children who are in predominantly white environments. Uh, a longing for being white is created within the self. And so you, you spend a lot of time um, imagining not only what your voice would sound like, some people never let go of that voice, by the way. And what, what is the, what's the psychology? What is the, the mindscape behind that other reality? If I was white, what types of things would I get to think about? if I were white and, um, and hi, I'm Millicent Mancini and I have a house, you know, a two story house and a dot, you know, and <laughs> so, you know, I really wanted to go back to that space and figure out if I stay in that space, what could I understand about these other types of realities or what I think these other types of realities might be or how these, types of realities are socially perceived, you know, and the further and further I go, the more and more I talk, can I unpack it? Can I flip it? And again, I am talking to my, to myself. So it is a convert. It is, it is, it's like at the end of the day, this conversation is bubbling back on me and is a representation of my own mind. Um, but I, I think I just wanted to re reflect on the ordinariness and uh, of people, and 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 also the um, the sort of schizoid um, mental landscape. I would say that is this culture that also requires a lot of code switching mentally, depending on how you operate in, in, part, in different parts of society, depending on what you do. Even if you, don't, if, you, if you don't speak the code switching, your mind has to code switch in different realities. And if you were in a marginalized group, you're constantly trying to, you know, fit and form your thinking to align with the thinking that will help you survive. I mean, black people have done that, have to do that for survival. And I think it's, it's part of that sort of survival strategy. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think the voices are, okay, how can I understand the way these people think?
Later on in the work, Knight breaks the fourth wall, introducing the idea that black women need a place to scream. History can show us that society has never met black expectations with the same regularity as it has met white expectations. White expectations. White expectations. White expectations. White expectations. White yeah the the black woman screaming i i feel like for for years I've been thinking about the idea of black women uh, having the opportunity to just um, rage out and also fall out, Um, almost exhaust themselves screaming, like really um, letting it out, being just being, being loose. Um, being strong and being weak at the same time and and weak in the ways that we want to be weak as a as a black woman it's i you know and what's the weight of the thing that you have to represent when you are um and of course you know we're all individuals uh we don't we don't represent everybody um i suppose I mean, I, 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 I suppose, um, we all want to scream, you know, we don't, we, we want to scream and it ain't for ice cream, you know, like, <laughs> um, exactly. I feel like speaking to like, Hey, do I want to scream. Do you want to scream? Okay. I'm just acknowledging that we want to scream. We're not screaming, but we want to scream. I think there's a lot of weight of the, the dignity that we have been, um, that has been projected on to us, you know, um, that has trapped, that has trapped the screaming and the sort of like pressure to make some really eloquent and poignant um, package message and moment, really, that is just a scream. Or I, I just, I, I just want to be, be loose doing something. I want to tear something up. I want to make a mess for a few hours and not think about why I'm making this mess. I do think that articulation is um, is a blessing and a curse. You know, like what 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 would I have access to if I wasn't so articulate? Like what things in my mind um, would not be filtered or hampered through articulation? And of course, you know, articulation, I feel like gives you access to, you know, this capitalist structure, gives you access to different types of 
you know, social capital. So it's a, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, in some ways I really do try to, um, I feel like the sort of the, the, the name, the naming and the exploration of the name is sort of, um, you know, this is how one black woman tried to articulate a certain thing that she thought about what black people could be and could represent or what a black woman could represent by naming another black woman, um, this phrase. So every time you, you say it, you know, it's this thing. So it, it, you know, like it, it kind of, I mean, it's, it's really about the, I mean, black people creating themselves, like really manifesting the reality of the self and having to, to constantly do that. And, and I don't know. I, I just feel like our ability to, to shapeshift is, is the primary, is, in, is the primary resource. Because um, in the reality, there's this one shape, this blackness, this blackness. That's the thing that you, we cannot move out of, right? No matter how hard we try. That's the, you know, the, the binding, the, there's so many literary names for it. But um, so we have all of these uh, ways in which we do it, right? To make you forget that you tried to put us in this place. You tried to um, paralyze us. And finally, night takes on Santa and Mad Libs. You know, I'm, I'm a loving guy. I've got this big belly, this, uh, this white beard. And, uh, you know, uh, white men are coming up a lot. I, I, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys. But I'm just saying that white men, white men are having a tough time right now. Oh, my goodness. I almost forgot about that part. Um, because <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. But I was like, you know, wasting all them Christmas cards. I was really trying to get into that mind space of a good guy. You know, um, the in particular, the good white guy who thinks he's good, you know, and who's a, you know, a good example of that um, is you know, Santa and, you know, in our, in this culture, Santa is seen as a, a white man. So what if, and, 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 and now it's like in this moment, every white man ha is a space of critique. Like every white man, you know, in the collective, you know, um, since it's sort of being kind of stopped and questioned, like, hey, 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 what, what are you doing? You know, maybe not physically, it's not affecting your like, you know, physical life, but your mental life, you know, it's like, hey, what are you thinking about? What are you? And so even the, you know, the good ones like, you know, Santa is like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm really one of the good ones. It's like, uh-uh. In this moment, every white man get in question. White men are being treated unfairly, including Santa Claus. God damn it, give Santa Claus a break. He's a good white man. It's like me and Jesus. We're out here doing all this work for white men. Oh, Jesus. I think um, when the time comes to be propped up as examples, 
of really good, you know, white men who have really been in service to the entire world. Like, you know, Santa is in service to the entire globe, is generous, um, provides a service, (laughs) you know, and this, but, but I think I really try to like work through the metaphor and myth because it is out of these spaces of myths that these facts of our lives are created, you know, around certain groups of people. We create myths around them and we believe in them. The Mad Libs, I found those while, that, that, that space was the director's office. Okay. <laughs> okay, give me a word. Enjoy. Enjoy. Okay, give me another word. And so I think it was really important to, you know, definitely do something in that space. And I found those on uh, his desk. And, <laughs> you know, so I didn't bring anything into the, the space, right? So it was about like, okay, what's present? What are, what are the materials that already exist that are telling a story about these places, like through the objects that are already here? So Mad Libs... They already are a tool, but it's just, it's interesting. I feel like sociologically, these like empty blanks is such a great study for, you know, based on your reality. The silence. It makes me want to fill in the silence like a mad lib. Makes me want to fill in the, the silence with nouns and adjectives and verbs and miscellaneous words. Makes me want to fill in the the blanks with miscellaneous thoughts. Like, what is that thing that bit me backstage earlier today? Like, what did I cut my hand on earlier? Like, has anyone even watched this to this point? Like, when will we finally be done with coronavirus, COVID-19? Like, it makes me feel grumpy, lazy, happy, sick, wild, wet, slippery, nervous, excited, fat, definitely fat, tired, and crazy. Uh, Your sociocultural reality, that's how you will fill in the blanks of these seemingly, you know, benign universal stories. Like the even assumption that these these, uh, circumstances are universal. Right. And you just kind of like plug in, you know, a word and it'll fit and it'll make sense because they're written from a certain bias concept or space context already. So I wanted to really I mean, once I put I put that in place, I was like, okay, I'm going to work with the Mad Libs. It was a it was a moment to work with liveness because it's the only moment that I'm actually working with another person live. And that's what my whole performances are when I perform live. So and I didn't know Mike very well. So it was great because I was like, great. I don't know what a conversation with you outside of, you know, put this paper up is going to be. Um, and it was great. Um, 
you know, because I really got to do the thing that I normally do in performance. I take a thing and I flip it over, you know, when he would give me suggestions. And it, I think it's an honest representation also, because I think a lot of audiences and art world performances are very white. So I'm also like this, this dynamic is also representative of that relationship. The camera person uh, was also, you know, a white person and a white woman who was European, um, both amazing people, very lovely, and you know, and, and helpful, but um, I don't know. I just really wanted to pull in the language in the real time and like, something that was outside of myself. Like these things that I'm saying, like let's, let me show you how we all are complicit in creating these narratives unless we start to disrupt them. That's interdisciplinary artist Autumn Knight discussing her live-streamed performances from a residency at The Kitchen in July of 2020. You can view the videos of those events on The Kitchen's website at onscreen.thekitchen.org. Today's episode was reported by Jossie Johnson and edited by me, Candace Thompson. Unsequenced is produced and mixed by Stephanie Wolfe, with additional audio support from Justin Epstein from RYBG. Joe Kai composed our theme music, and a shout-out to our Patreon subscribers. They make all of this audio storytelling possible. You can join them at patreon.com slash DIYdancer. Find Unsequenced wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening. (laughs) 